Welcome to the Listen to Your Gut podcast with international best-selling author Jeannie Patel-Thompson. Because your body is your subconscious. Your body is the densest part of your soul. Today's podcast is an interview with me by Vai Kumar on her podcast called Fresh Leaf Forever. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Hey folks, welcome to another episode on podcast Fresh Leaf Forever. Today, I have here a very special guest, and this is very personal to me, and uh, Ginny Patel-Thompson, she is an internationally recognized expert on natural healing for digestive diseases. She healed herself from widespread Crohn's disease and has remained drug and surgery-free for over 20 years. Ginny believes in listening to your own gut and letting your own intuition and body wisdom guide you. She's the author of over 20 publications. Those are books, ebooks, CDs, DVDs, and has formulated several healing protocols for anyone living with IBD, Crohn's disease, colitis, and for that matter, anything gut related. She is the director of Listen to Your Gut Enterprises and provides so much to the community for well-being in terms of her Listen to Your Gut Shop, blog, resources, consults, and so much more. I'm delighted to welcome Ginny here to podcast Freshly Forever. Hey, Ginny, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Vi. It's so good to be here with you. Yeah, as a user myself of your products from the Listen to Your Gut Shop and having benefited immensely for my own Crohn's disease journey, in fact, successfully managing my protein needs for many years now with your elemental product, Absorb Plus. I just want to start off here saying thanks. You have just given me a new life, I should say. You're one of the people in my journey because of whom I'm just here today, um, healthy and managing my condition well. And uh, so first off, thank you for being here and uh, thank you for formulating such a wonderful product and several more. You're so welcome, Bye. Well, why don't we start off with your journey, the whole nine yards of it and what led to, you know, whatever you're doing today, Jamie. Wow. Um, well, basically, I was told by my gastroenterologist that I would never be able to work. I'd never be able to have kids. I probably wouldn't um, be able to finish university, which I was in my first year at the time. And so I did what he said for three years, and every year I got sicker and sicker. And then at that point, I just went, you know, when he told me, well, you won't be able to do anything, but at least, you know, you have a severe enough case that you'll qualify for disability payments. And I was like, well, uh, I'm going to heal myself or I'm going to die trying because the life you just described is not who I am. And that's not anything that I'm interested in living. So at that point, I knew nothing about alternative medicine. I'd never heard my entire family were doctors and pharmacists. So um, mm -hmm. I gradually weaned myself off my drugs and I went completely into just trying anything and everything that worked. And interestingly enough, I didn't realize the significance of this at the time, but within a few months of that, I went to Japan you know, I graduated university by that time and I wanted to experience uh, an adventure. 
And so I didn't understand at the time the significance of that move in terms of my Mm -hmm. life force energy and in terms of following your heart's desire and not accepting the negativity of, oh, I'm now a sick person. So I better make my life small and I better stay in bed and I better, you know, I was young enough that I just went, well, I'm done with that and I'm onto this and I'll figure out how to heal myself or I'll go out with a bang. So <laughs> that was sort of the beginning of it. Um, and then it took me seven years of experimenting and I did nearly die twice, but, um, all's well that ends well. And the final, um, the final time where I actually had a near death experience, cause I bled out, uh, from a colonic hemorrhage, my hemoglobin was two out of, um, no three out of 14. That's when I developed absorb plus, which is, which I use to heal myself. Um, it's a completely pre-digested liquid nutrient shake and the pharmaceutical versions were absolute garbage. So I kind of used the concept as a springboard, developed my own and went from 99 pounds and couldn't walk across the room to seven weeks later, 135 pounds cycling to the gym and working out three times a week. So the recovery was absolutely miraculous for myself. So I published that in a book and I told everyone how to make the shakes and of course they were like, uh, could you just produce this for us? Cause you know, you have to mix together, you know, nine or 10 different ingredients. It was a little bit complex. So, um, basically that's my story of everything that I've done to heal myself. I have then shared with other people and it works for other people. Thank goodness. It doesn't just work for me. So it's a blessing all around. What an incredible and phenomenal transformation from the prognosis to now spreading awareness on IBD and, you know, in fact, even helping people with all those wonderful products. Like you said, you come from a family of doctors and pharmacists. So how come this non-allopathic route, how was it even possible being familiar with what doctors do and pharmacists do, like being closer to them, you know, like I guess you having a family of your own with so many practitioners, I guess, you know, whatever you call internal pressure or even, you know, the 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 need to trust your own family and all of that, how come you were able to get away from it? Well, I think that's my personality. I've always been... um you know, the black sheep of my family. I've always been the one who didn't do what I was supposed to do, you know, for my, so my father is Indian and my mother is um, English and Russian Jewish. And so, Mm -hmm. and, and we grew up together with my dad's family in Kenya, which is where I was born. And even as a child, I saw the injustices in that patriarchal system and I rejected them. And so by the time I was three, my uncle nicknamed me foreigner. But I just thought, this is wrong. This is wrong. You have a pregnant woman who doesn't get to eat until the men have eaten. And then she only gets the milk that's left over after the men have had their milk. Like it was just, it was even as a three-year-old child, it was so obviously wrong to me. So I had grown up not under the um, socialization that a lot of people from 
you know, strong cultural backgrounds grow up with where the family has a lot of control over you and you're very tightly bonded in. You really care what everyone thinks and says about you. I had let go of that by the time I was three. So I was just, I was kind of primed to go my own way. And, and then along with that, my grandmother was, um, you know, because she's, she left from India and moved to Kenya when she was 16 and they were super poor. So when things came up, she used herbal remedies. She used turmeric and mustard paste. And so my father had grown up with her, you know, using herbal things whenever she could. So it wasn't completely foreign to him, even though he mm-hmm. was, you know, a, a uh, optometrist and eye doctor. So there was a bit of a background set for that. Um, and then, but everyone just knew that that was my personality. I was very, uh, independent and I was very certain about who I was and what I was going to do. And I would go ahead and do it. And they were used to me by that point. They were used to me being like that. Well, I guess sometimes, you know, you have to break the barriers and, you know, kind of, you know, like, uh, do things differently, right? You know, somebody has to have the confidence to say, hey, you know, like that need not be the norm. And I just am going to try something different. But do you think the care now versus the uh, the conventional medical systems care then, has it changed at all? Is it any different due to, say, quote unquote, the advancements in modern science? I don't think the medical treatments are any better. Uh, from what I hear and I see from my readers, I think the, the integrative medicine, the functional medicine, the naturopathic medicine, oh my gosh, those are so much hundreds of times better than what existed. You know, this would have been what, 30, more than 30 years ago when I was diagnosed and then had to figure out how to heal myself. The internet didn't even exist. It was a completely mm-hmm. different world. So the amount of information that's available to people uh, now is astounding. And the number of integrative or natural physicians that are trained in working with people with IBD is huge now. Um, and possibly because IBD and IBS are at literally epidemic levels. So, you know, the <laughs> healthcare has responded to market demand in that respect. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's certainly far more options um, in the natural and integrative world and uh, a lot of different things that work now. Whereas when I was doing it, the only thing that people were having success with was the specific carbohydrate diet by Elaine Gottschall. And the problem with that diet is number one, it's extremely restrictive. And for, again, we get back to the personality. So for someone like me, as a young person spending every weekend, the whole weekend cooking created such stress that whatever physical benefit I was receiving from the food source was negated by the extreme stress caused by having to be locked in a kitchen cooking all weekend and then not being able to socialize, not being able to, you know, go and be with friends or eat anywhere and and the other bad thing about the Gottschall diet is you have to stay on it forever. It's not like it heals you and then you can gradually come up to normal, um, you know, dietary or, or socialization. No, you have to stay on that super, super restricted diet forever. And I think if she just added in some natural antimicrobials and high dose therapeutic probiotics, 
that diet would actually be more of a complete healing plan that people could then get back to eating a, a larger variety of foods and give themselves some more freedom. But at the time that I developed my protocols, that was it. Like nowadays you go on the internet, you look, there's tons of people who have healing programs that are getting success with numerous different people. There's lots of different ways, but I think it was similar to that four minute mile. Um, you know, until someone run, ran that mile, people thought it was impossible. And when I was developing my healing protocols, that's what we heard. This is incurable. It's impossible. And so I'm pretty happy that, you know, when I published, listen to your gut, it was only the second program available <laughs> other than the Gottschall specific carbohydrate diet. And I believe it energetically gave everyone else permission to go, Oh, wait a minute, this is possible. Okay. Let's try raw juicing. Let's try paleo. Let's try, you know, and all the, the systems that followed after that. Um, so it's all good. And, and we have a lot more available to us today than, you know, 30 years ago, for sure. That's wonderful. Yeah. As a 17 year old, I can certainly imagine what you would have gone through, you know, in terms of having to cook so much and while in university, right. You know, having to figure, uh, Hey, you know, how much time do I allocate for myself in the kitchen versus what I would do with my college assignments and things like that. And yes, certainly listen to your gut, you know, like uh, just came in very um, handy to me when I was chancing upon resources on the internet, just like you said, uh, during my difficult days, my difficult initial days with the Crohn's IBD journey. And I had become uh, malnourished and malabsorption was the biggest issue for me. And of course, some rectal issues, which uh, manifested more and more during my pregnancy. Yeah, it just the different facets of Crohn's, right? Some have painful um, intestinal stuff, some have rectal issues, some nonstop diarrhea. What, according to you, Ginny, um, is the underlying reason that it would manifest so differently? Say some have intestinal bleeding and such, right? That one has to be on like a total parental nutrition type of support for them to not be undernourished and carry on with life? I think it depends. Um, the iteration that the disease takes from person to person depends upon, first of all, your microbiome. And secondly, there's a bunch of other contributing factors that can hugely affect uh, your overall foundational health, you know, like vaccination, what kind of diet you've been fed really since infancy, were you breastfed, were you formula fed? Um, what are, what is your ongoing? Are you, do you have a mother who cooked whole foods from scratch or did you have someone who bought a lot of takeout or, or packaged and processed foods? And then also it depends on how far you know, the dis-ease, the imbalance has progressed within your own body system. So how, how imbalanced is your endocrine system? Because your hormones have a huge role to play. And, and then what works in, in concert with that is 
well, what kind of prescription drugs have you taken and what effect did they have? Because most of them knock out your endocrine system, right? Prednisone and a number of others are just brutal on the adrenal glands. Well, once you take out the adrenal, you're taking out the thyroid. It's like hormones are domino linked. So you, you'll never just affect one gland. If you start affecting your hormones, you're taking down your whole endocrine system. And then that then snowballs and feedback loops with, you know, and, and then how long has this been going on? Right. You know, I have people come to my program who've uh, been on heavy drugs for 25 years. Like that person is not going to heal in six months. There's just no way there's been so much uh, damage done and so much systemic damage done that it's going to take them a few years. They do heal though. They can heal. It just, it just takes longer. Yeah, it's unfortunate that what one hears uh, during a diagnosis is, hey, this is an incurable and it's a lifelong condition. But like you pointed out, you know, you call the gut to be the first brain or the CPU of the body, right? And uh, so is it a matter of catching it early? And what do you think should be the initial steps to, say, one's healing journey, right, when they hear a diagnosis of, say IBS or IBD, whatever it may be, you know, and again, inflammatory bowel disease, IBD is Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. So which again, Crohn's can be anywhere from the anal region all the way up to the eyes, correct? In order to prevent something manifesting itself in like a ginormous form and just taking control of your body when you can be in control of it, what would you say should be the initial steps. So is it easier always when one catches it early? So in an ideal world, if someone came and had just recently been diagnosed and had not taken any drugs yet, there would be three things that I would address immediately. And this is based on reader feedback from over 100,000 readers. First of all, I would get on an antimicrobial, a broad spectrum antipathogen like wild oregano oil or olive leaf extract. And I would do high dose um, five times a day, followed at night by the only therapeutic probiotic that I can confidently recommend to people, and that's Natrin. So then you take a high dose at night before you go to bed. So right away, you are hugely rebalancing and impacting the microbiome and everything stems out from the gut. So as long as your gut is imbalanced, nothing is going to work properly. Not your circulatory system, your endocrine system, your digestion, your absorption, excretion, nothing, right? So that would be the first two things. And the third thing would be to <laughs> go into the emotional often spiritual realm of why this disease? Why is your subconscious or your higher self using your body to message you in this way, right? And there have been dozens of studies done on what they call the IBD personality. You know, mm -hmm. people with IBD and IBS have, are statistically proven to be super achievers, type A personality. So they're very hard on themselves. They put a lot of stress on themselves, right? And often, if you look at the work of Dr. Gabor Matei, why does someone become a super achiever? Because usually their parents or some other influencing 
person has put that level of stress on them as a very young child. So they are not even aware that they have a choice. They think that's just how they are. They don't realize that they have actually been, you know, socialized to be that type of personality and to be that hard on themselves. Is everything like psychosomatic, you think, when it comes to this condition? Um, yeah, yes, but I don't like the word psychosomatic because I think it's reductionist and I think it leaves out the autonomy and the actual power that's involved when you own your journey and you own your spiritual self and you say, okay, my body is showing me that I am way off course for where I should be for my life, for myself, for this incarnation. So where have I gone wrong? What is it I'm not listening to? What trauma is running my body right now rather than my goals and my happiness and my peace, right? And so a lot of times that messaging from the body is what needs healing is not you know, necessarily your intestinal lining, what needs healing is the amount of abuse you suffered as a child. And that's what's destroying your intestinal lining. Do you get what I'm saying? So my perspective is that the body is the subconscious and the body Mm -hmm. is the densest part of the soul. So if your body is messaging you, yes, you deal with the physical layer because once something has manifested into physical form, you have to deal with it in physical form. But the origin of the imbalance in your physical body, the, the triggering events, there's often a huge component of that that is emotional, psychological, spiritual. And so you can't have long-term healing. You can get to the point where you're managing the cycle of your disease and you can wean off your drugs, but for you to get actual, complete, 100% long-term healing, you also have to go to that level. So those would be the three things is like, yeah, we're doing the broad spectrum antipathogen, the high dose therapeutic probiotics. So we're definitely addressing the physical body right off the bat. And we're going into the emotional, spiritual, psychological components that are just as strongly involved in making you ill as whatever's happening in the physical environment. Mm -hmm. And then addressing both, you know, that's kind of like a hand in hand process to uh, overcome, you know, the the dis-ease, so to speak, right? What exactly. about uh, diet and say any allergy testing? I know yes. you, you go into the food combining, the food reintroduction and all of that very nicely in your book, Listen to Your Gut. And I guess, you know, that was the first thing and the IBD remission protocol, the other book that I was I was so fortunate to have chanced upon in my life, and that's how I got into using Absorb Plus. But let me have you, the expert, talk about the influence of diet and lifestyle and how you go about all this whole food food combining and food reintroduction part of it. Well, for my experience and my protocols, the key thing about the diet is to recognize that your diet is specific to where you're at in your healing journey. So when you're extremely um, 
ill and unbalanced and your microbiome is shot and, 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 you know, often the only thing you can do is ingest a pre-digested liquid food source. So you basically return to breast milk and that's the only way your body can actually digest and absorb, absorb the nutrients needed. Now, should a healthy person drink that kind of elemental shake? No, absolutely not. It would be unhealthy for them because there's too much maltodextrin in it. Um, and perhaps they don't need that high a level of protein. And, you know, so everything is not like in our society, we're always like, tell me the diet, just how should I eat and eat that way the rest of my life? And it's like, that's not what health is about. Health is about listening to your body every day at every stage and giving it what it wants and what it asks for. So again, um, we're not talking about veganism and vegetarianism. There may be a time where your body wants those foods and doesn't want animal products. And then there may be a time where your body's like, I must have animal fats. There's certain components in animal fats that are not present anywhere else. So I have to have ghee or I have to have yogurt or I have to have cheese or you don't necessarily need to kill an animal to get those, but your body cannot function at optimum efficacy without those specific nutrients or like the fish oils, for example. So it's more about a healing in layers. And as your body heals and your body comes back online and everything starts functioning, you know, better and better, your diet can expand hugely and your capacity for, you know, things that you were allergic to before or intolerant disappear because your digestive capability has increased, your absorptive capability has increased and your microbiome mm -hmm. has improved. So again, my healing protocols are holistic. It's not like you do this diet or you do this probiotic or you do this herbal treatment. No, you do it all and you do it all at once because that's what healing looks like. It's this huge, holistic, big, balanced, um, multi-pronged approach where you meet all of the body's needs and you bring everything back online and back into functionality while addressing those emotional uh, trauma-based triggers that are, you know, just as important as the food you're putting in your mouth. What do you think people do best as far as diet, you know, right, when they have to kind of start the process? What is it that you would recommend people do in terms of, okay, hey, this, this, this is perhaps what most folks can do well with? Well, if you can tolerate normal foods, then I have a blog post with a list of my low residue foods that I know that most people can tolerate. I also have another post where I have um, common foods that you can make into shakes. So again, they're already partially pre-digested, things like avocado and banana, and then either your whey protein powder or your vegan protein powder. You definitely want to have a good fat in there, either MCT oil or cold pressed flax. And those are things that are usually very well tolerated, super easy to digest and absorb and enable your body to start being able to get the nutrients in to heal themselves. Because here's the thing, when you're severely malnutritioned, you it doesn't matter what herbs and supplements you take, your body can't heal because it doesn't, it can't even utilize the supplements or the drugs okay. that you're taking. It's just, it's too far gone. So you have to address the malnourishment uh, aspect of it first, right? And then as you, and then if you can't, 
handle any, any of those, you know, whole food based shakes and whatnot, then you have to go to something like absorb plus, which is the product that I formulated and used to heal myself. So, but that's an expensive product because it has 43 ingredients, all of which are natural and derived from natural source uh, substances. And it's very expensive to produce and it is what it is. But uh, when you need it, there's nothing, there's nothing better. And then as you heal, maybe you move from Absorb Plus onto the avocado, banana, yogurt, if you can tolerate it, whey protein, vegan protein, you move on to those more food-based shakes. And then, and broths, of course, the homemade broths um, are extremely healing, either using organic bones or mushrooms or vegetables. Uh, and then is that all you know, comes together and you get even better, then you can start moving up to the low residue foods. Perhaps FODMAP works well for your body, you know, and you gradually, gradually introduce more foods as your, as your system heals and can handle more. Okay. Perfect. Back in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. cold foods and also if you can touch upon the regeneration of the GI tract because we have the ability and the capability to kind of you know the cellular regeneration like you talk in your book it can happen in like as fast as three days correct yeah that's what Deepak Chopra says in one of his books yes and and you can have uh, physical evidence of that by any injury you get to your mouth or your tongue because that's the same cells, the same cells that form the lining of your mouth and go down and extend into your esophagus and into your GI tract. So you can see if you bite your tongue, how fast that heals, or if you, you know, get any kind of mouth injury, how rapidly that heals. Well, that's your intestine can heal very quickly if you support it. So in addition to all the things we've already talked about, um, we also have people um, ingest things like, again, another product I formulated called Mucosacom. And that has, um, you know, NAG, uh, marshmallow, slippery elm, licorice, you know, those really foundational substances to heal and regenerate the intestinal lining itself. Aloe vera is another good one. Um, there's a number of different substances that work uh, really well to directly heal the mucosal lining of the intestine. So is this all a one size fits all approach or how do you determine what works for someone at a certain stage? So is that when the personal consult and everything, you know, is that critical? Well, I think that's where the listening to your gut is critical <laughs> because <laughs> no, it's not one size fits all, right? Everybody has differing levels of sensitivity. Everybody has differing um, reactivities and hypersensitivities and they are just based on their personality. You know, some people are go hard or go home. They can make a whole bunch of changes really fast and that feels good to them. For someone else, you do that and you're going to throw them into a disease flare because they, their basic core personality doesn't work that way. They're a much gentler, slower type of person. So absolutely it has to be tailored. And that's where having, you know, uh, integrated physician, naturopath, functional medicine, holistic health coach, someone who has extensive experience with 
uh, inflammatory bowel disease, to have them as your coach and your guide is definitely important. Even just encouraging you to, you know, Hey, go low and slow, right? Anything you do start with a low dosage, slowly, gradually increase because these diseases are triggered by stress. So you absolutely want a hundred percent avoid stressing either your mind or your body during this healing journey. And then you just keep tuning in. Um, someone, you know, I may be able to take a substance three times a day. You may be able to take it once a day at a quarter dose and then not for, and then every three to four days, it's all good. It doesn't matter wherever you start at is where you start. And then you gradually increase. That's why with the probiotics, for example, um, we're so grateful to have the nature brand, which is available in powders, because I have some people whose microbiome is so bad. It's so highly reactive. They can start with literally one pinch, one finger, not even, a, not even a quarter mm-hmm. teaspoon, not even just one pinch of probiotic. And that's all they can take for quite a while. And then they gradually build up. Oh, now they're onto one sixteenth of a teaspoon. Yay. And then a quarter teaspoon. And then, and it gradually comes like that. So everybody really has to tolerate, just keep tuning into your own body, keep listening to your own gut, adjusting. Like we have a vast pool of body wisdom that most of us are not trained to connect with or access. Uh, but it's there, it's available for you. And that's why I have a section in my book called dialoguing with your body. I have a guided meditation where I take people into, um, you know, a kind of a meditative state and guide them through taking their consciousness and placing it in different areas of their body, connecting. What does, what does my throat have to say? What does my, um, esophagus have to say? What does my, uh, my frozen shoulder have to say, you know, and we can actually place our consciousness in those various parts of our bodies because every cell is capable of communication, right? Every cell is communicating with each other. It's just that our, our brain, our ego dominant brain isn't tuned in and isn't listening. So anything that helps people develop that ability to listen to their gut, to be able to hear their own intuition, you know, take a course. There's tons of workshops Mm -hmm. available, develop a meditative practice, you know, a listening practice. All of that is hugely valuable when you're trying to heal yourself. Yeah. I mean, we all try to get ahead of ourselves a lot of times, right? That is when, you know, like you said, the ego dominates and starting small with everything and building up. Otherwise you don't want like something like a Herzheimer reaction setting in, in your healing journey. And if you can expand to listeners on what that exactly means, I think that would be great as well. So the Herzheimer is where it's also sometimes called a healing crisis because the various symptoms you get like nausea, headaches, bloating, um, dizziness, brain fog, extreme fatigue, it feels like you're really getting sick all of a sudden. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting worse. But what's happening, for example, when Candida albicans begins to die, upon its death, it releases 168 different toxins. Oh my. (laughs) So guess how sick that's going to make you feel? It's going to make you feel really sick. But it's actually a positive sign. It has to happen. And then your liver and your kidneys and have to go to work 
processing and flushing those toxins out of you. So that's why you might get a sudden increase in bloating and a sudden increase in diarrhea, because don't forget the body only has a couple methods of elimination. And the main ones are through the feces or through vomiting. So, you know, you have to create a space for that, that if I have to, if my body has to get rid of a whole bunch of noxious substances fast, it only really has two ways to do that. Um, there can be a small amount that comes out through the skin, but really if you, if you want to clear something fast, you're looking at diarrhea or vomiting. And some people, again, based on their personality, some people go for that Herxheimer because they're like, I don't care. I'd rather be sick as a dog and get that stuff cleared out of me ASAP. Right. And then other people based on their personality want to take it slow and gentle and, you know, take weeks or months to, to gradually clear that stuff without, um, producing such a negative reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, and yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then you get into the difficulty of discerning between, am I having a Herxheimer reaction or am I not tolerating this food or this supplement or this whatever that I am ingesting? And that's where things get tricky. And that's where the ability to listen to your gut, to hear your own body's wisdom is absolutely crucial. And that of course is usually the hardest thing for people to develop. Um, it's the hardest thing for them to be willing to take a workshop and receive training on or, or do a guided meditation, their level of resistance to that is usually so high. Um, I think the ego knows that once you can do that, that's a game changer. Your whole world is going to change. All your relationships are going to change. Your life path's going to change because you can finally hear your higher self. You can finally hear your deeper body wisdom. You can finally start working together as an integrated whole instead of letting your ego brain mind drive the bus all the time. And, and that's frightening for the ego. So, you know, you gotta, you, you don't want to reject the ego. The ego is valuable. The ego is, is like the homeostatic mechanism in the blood, right? Mm-hmm. When you go out of balance or you take a leap into the unknown, the ego goes, Oh my gosh, no, come back here where we know we're safe. And that's okay. You know, that's a, that's a valuable thing to have. At the same time, you can't progress and you can't move forward. So you say to the ego, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. You're going to go sit in the back room. <laughs> and then once we made the transition, you're going to come back out and you can critique and be skeptic and you can have your say then. But for right now, you got to go sit down and be quiet while I get some stuff done. Yeah. Um, and, know, and that's uh, part of the process too. And it's interesting you say all this, Ginny, and a methodical approach to healing is also essential. Like you don't want too much happening at the same time because I have personally found that, say, anything drastic that happens, then it also becomes like an impediment to your healing journey, right? Then you're kind of torn between two systems. You don't know what's working in your natural uh, healing journey. And then you're forced to, you know, seek the conventional route at that point, you know, certain times, you know, if you if you don't do something in a methodical approach or kind of, like you said, tune into your body. So I guess it becomes like a catch-22 at that point. And what about scar tissues? And if you um, can help me out here, I recently heard a family member say, if she were to go the natural route, 
then, you know, like any scarring, anything potentially, like I guess the goal first is to control the inflammation with the allopathic medicines, then seek any other diet and lifestyle or natural methods. Because I think some people out there tend to feel that, oh, we don't want any natural healing to kind of create like scar tissues and then that become a problem later. So is that even like a fair concern to have or what would you say to scar tissue and kind of dissolving that? I know you have a blog post on that as well. That's such an interesting perspective. I hadn't heard that before. Um, my, My first response to that would be, have you researched the drugs that you're taking to find out how they contribute to scar tissue. And I, I had a, a reader, um, his daughter had colitis. He was a board certified cardiologist and emergency medicine doctor. And he did a lot of research onto the, into the drugs used for Crohn's and colitis. And his theory was that these drugs are actually causing more damage, but because the damage is happening at deeper layers in the tissue, the top layer of the mucosal lining looks fine, but the damage is actually going on underneath. So when you're talking about inflammation and scar tissue, if you have the top layer that appears fine, which is actually the easiest layer to treat, but the layers underneath are suffering inflammation and ulceration and repeated scarring and inflammation because that's a cycle, right? Um, your condition over time is actually going to get worse and worse. And the other thing, uh, there was a couple of drugs he was looking into that he was convinced caused fistulas. Uh, because again, you know, if you have active infection, inflammation is usually the response to infection, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get mm-hmm. splinter, your body launches that pus and inflammatory response to heal. You get a knee injury. The inflammatory response is to bring a lot of the substances needed to heal the knee into the region very quickly. So we're looking at inflammation saying inflammation's bad. No, no. Inflammation is a sign that your body is putting healing resources behind whatever is actually happening. So if what is actually happening is an infectious component and you use a drug to just gloss that over, you drive the infection deeper into the tissues because the body is trying to say, hello, infection, help, right? And you say no help and you cover that up. And then what happens is the infection goes down. It, it will, but the body can't leave an infection in the tissues because you will go septic and you will die. So the body's only option at that point is to tunnel the other way through tissue and muscle and bone, right? And create a drainage hole, usually out the tailbone or sometimes into the vagina mm-hmm. to drain the the pathogens through that other, that alternate drainage hole. And he, he was convinced that there was a couple of drugs that were directly causing these fistulas because they did not occur in control groups that were not given the drugs. So he, and then unfortunately, um, he did not publish anything, um, before he died. So we don't have a record of his musings, but, um, it's something to think about because nobody is studying the drugs to that depth. The only are the pharmaceuticals who have a huge financial payback for getting you to take the drugs. So where's the control on the drugs? Who's looking at, but what do these drugs actually do? 
you know, no one's looking at that. And I think that's a definite thing that people need to consider. Um, so in terms of scar tissue, yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're using a drug or you're using natural healing, the body has a codified way of repairing torn and wounded tissue regardless, you know, it's this, so this thing of, well, I'm using a drug, so I'm not going to get scar tissue. Well, of course you are. If you're, Mm -hmm. if the tissue is actually healing, this is the way the body heals. We don't know. The body doesn't have another way to heal. It's a natural mechanism or natural response from the body, right? Exactly. And so your, your key to, if you want to avoid scar tissue is to address the infectious agents as fast as possible because that's what's causing your ulceration and your inflammation. And then you want to, you know, the stuff we've already talked about, you want to be on the high dose probiotics because without a good microbiome, you're going to be wide open to further infection. So the medical system that uses, you know, some of them will use like three or four different antibiotics and antifungals to kill off the bad stuff. Okay, fine. But then you've created a void. Nature abhors a void. You never leave a void in nature. You clear something out. You look at it, look at um, the ground. If you clear weeds, you better replant with what you want, or you're going to have 50 million more weeds in that same patch. Nature will always replace itself. And it's the same thing in our gut. If you leave a void in the gut, you are wide open to secondary or opportunistic infection. So you know, and this is my main problem with the medical system is, you know, prescribing antibiotics left, right, and center, but never following with an actual therapeutic probiotic that works. So, um, that if, if people would just add that piece to their, you know, if someone wants to stay in the medical route, okay, fine. But then you have an added complication that the drugs that they're using to treat these diseases alter the pH of the gut, making it very difficult for good bacteria to survive. So you have, you are now creating an ongoing hostile environment to good bacteria where you're only creating an, an, um, an environment where some pathogenic species can thrive. Well, how are you ever going to get a good microbiome while you're still taking that drug that alters your pH? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So these things just feedback loop back onto themselves. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what then would be an approach to someone that has had scar tissue or some say strictures and is Crohn's, in your opinion, do you see it as a manifestation of more of a viral component or bacterial or fungal, or is it like perhaps a mix of everything? Yeah, I don't think we know. We do know that um, Mycobacterium avium paratuberculosis, MAP, which is a bacterial fungal hybrid, is present in up to 92% sometimes up to 99%, depending on the study of people with Crohn's, but it's only detectable by testing for the DNA because it hides inside the cell walls. (laughs) So, you know, these pathogens are super smart um, and they are evolving faster than we could ever evolve drugs to meet them. Um, So, you know, for me, it's like, I don't really care what causes it. I just care to eliminate it and replace with the good stuff and give the body what it needs. Um, that's for someone else to, to who's in that, you know, particular discipline to do their PhD thesis on it, you know, 
go ahead, have at it. Um, I don't concern myself with that whole angle of things. And then for the scar tissue, uh, we actually don't have, um, much that's, um, not just effective, but certainly that has any kind of testing behind it, uh, to deal with scar tissue. However, um, again, from my own personal healing journey, I had a stricture in my, uh, rectum that was cause I'd had surgery before I left the medical treatment protocols to remove some perianal skin tags that then created a lot of scar tissue. And as the years went on, it was becoming extremely difficult to defecate. And my stool was basically the width of a pencil. So it was taking up to two hours to have a bowel movement. It was just ridiculous. And I thought there's got to be something that can dissolve because again, I did my research. If you cut through scar tissue, guess what the body does? Forms more scar tissue to repair the cut. If you do stretching or anal dilation within six months, you're back where you started, you know, and again, when people look up procedures, don't just look up, you know, the, the, the follow-up studies within a month or two, go to the forums where people who've had these procedures done are six to 12 to, to five years on and see what they're saying. And that's when you'll realize that, oh yeah, so now my, my rectum is bigger, but I am fecal incontinent. Well, that's not a, that's not a win. That's not a good, I would not want to exchange one for the other, you know? So at that point I went back to my own little mad scientist experimenting and I came up with a protocol that uses, um, you know, fairly, uh, how should we say, well, the FDA doesn't like these substances, <laughs> but it uses a mixture of DMSO, potassium iodide and colloidal silver to, um, soften and dissolve scar tissue. And so after it worked for me, I threw it out to my readers as an experimental therapy. And, uh, we've had a ton of people it's worked for. And then I developed one for intestinal strictures that has a topical component plus the part that you drink. Again, heard back from a lot of people, colonoscopy confirmation that the stricture is now gone. Um, and some people, of course, it doesn't work so well for some people can't tolerate the therapy. You know, it's, it's all this stuff. So we're back to listening to your gut, listening to your body. What does your body want? What does your body tolerate? And, um, you know, what pace do you have to proceed at? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So well said. Um, what about hygiene and say, I know it's very hard for someone. It's already a frustrating experience having to run to the bathroom and back and everything. And making it easy while in the bathroom and still, you know, like keeping it hygienic and making sure that you're not contributing to more infections and stuff. Uh, the role of bidet and say handheld mini faucets and things like that. What's your take on that? And also, if you can talk about the environmental impact and the side that's contributing possibly to Crohn's because still there's no answer yet on why and how this happens, right? You know, like in my case, I think I lived in from a very tropical southern tip of India. I transitioned to a life in Chicago. My vitamin D levels plummeted in the cold weather. And I also heard this component of, you know, the polarity shift and the body 
perhaps going berserk with all of that. So, and of course, you know, probably there's some emotional side to it. And like you said, you know, high achievers, type A personality, I fit into all of those boxes. So um, what is the role of environment and the need to um, clear all the toxicity and also the role of keeping oneself more, you know, whatever you you want to say, you know, like however you can conform to hygienic practices that you can just so, you know, you contribute to whatever you can from your side to the healing journey. Well, for hygiene, it sounds like you're talking about when you have diarrhea or multiple bowel movements and that um, anal tissue can get extremely irritated mm-hmm. and uh, sore. And so the the best way for that is to use a portable bidet bottle mm-hmm. that you fill up with warm or hot water and you squeeze it to apply appropriate amount of pressure. So instead of wiping with an abrasive toilet paper, you're using that warm or hot water to clean the area. The after that, the other thing that works really well is to get, you know, just very um, unscented, pure Kleenex, fold it up, double, double ply, fold it into a square, flash it under hot water and gently clean yourself. And um, the Kleenex is much better than the toilet paper. It doesn't shred. It doesn't irritate. So those are two ways. Do not use commercial wipes or baby wipes. They all contain chemicals that actually irritate the tissue. Even with my three children, I didn't use them. I used the folded Kleenex to clean them. Um, and then when you go in the shower, uh, use a 100% natural soap on the area. But the key to soap is to rinse it properly. So after you've applied the soap, you want to keep flushing. And with that same hand, use, you know, rub the water against your perianal tissue to make sure you're getting all the soap off, right? So think about when you wash your face, you can't just rinse once or twice, you'll still have soap on your face. Mm -hmm. So that's the key to washing the perianal area properly is yes, use a hundred percent natural soap, no perfumes, no chemicals, but rinse it super well and use your hand to, to, you know, kind of brush the remaining soap off the area. In terms of environment, um, yeah, there's there's a huge amount of environmental factors, right? There's there's heavy metals, there's fluoride in your drinking water, there's vaccination, there's um, airborne chemicals, there's all the chemicals that are in your home. Most people, if you're on a synthetic mattress, synthetic bedding, you're getting off gassing while you're sleeping. If you're cooking with nonstick T-file pans, the chemicals that off gas from your pans, if you've got a bird nearby, the bird will drop dead. That's how much toxic fumes are coming off your nonstick pans. Like there's a whole list of things that we have been sold as normal that are actually toxic. So in listen to your gut, the entire chapter four is taking people through every room in your house mm-hmm. and show, and it can take you, and you can't do that all at once again, right? You, you'll, you'll get yourself so stressed and you'll probably be broke if you try to fix everything all at once. So you kind of start with the sleeping environment first, because when your body sleeps is when it repairs, right? So here's another environmental toxin. Uh, Wi-Fi and cell phone radiation. And oh, thank you for thank you for bringing that up. I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hugely um, uh, 
impact on health and the immune system. I've been blogging about Wi-Fi and cell phone radiation for over a decade. Um, I have my own radiation meters. I Right here, I'm at my ranch. I'm like in the Canadian wilderness. So I have Starlink satellite, but I have hardwired it into an Ethernet cable. And that's what I use for my computer here. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to reduce your radiation exposure, but your bedroom is where you absolutely have to get your radiation and your electromagnetic, like all your electrical stuff, like unplug everything. Don't have a, you know, get your cell phone out of your bedroom and turn it, not just turn it onto airplane. Cause most people don't know this. Like if you have an iPhone and you put it in airplane, your Wi-Fi is still running on your computer. Apple has programmed everything. So your Bluetooth is automatically turned on, right? If you're wearing Bluetooth headphones, I was astounded how much radiation those emit. I was absolutely gobsmacked. Some of them more than a cell phone. So, you know, you, you either get yourself a radiation meter or you, you know, follow the guidelines for getting all these things down. So again, like I have an entire chapter where I take people through and you start with your bedroom, because if you can get, you know, that six or eight or whatever hours you're sleeping per night where your cells can heal and repair themselves, then you can have, um, you know, you're far further ahead in the healing game than someone who you know, is never going to get a good night's sleep because, you know, all the systems of your body can never just drop down into deep rest and healing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And hormonal health, how much of a beating um, is that taking? And you already talked a little bit about it earlier. So what is it that we try to address in terms of hormonal health that's probably, you know, causing everything else in the gut or the intestinal systems to go haywire, right? Or is one contributing to the other? Yeah, they they feedback loop for sure. It's like, which came first? <laughs> and if you've taken a drug, your drug is usually the, the triggering element, right? So any, if you have any autoimmune disease um, from you know, chronic fatigue to Crohn's, to anything, you have to look at um, your adrenals and your thyroid. So definitely get the testing done for that. But then remember that, you know, again, this is the medical model. Oh, we're just going to treat one gland. Well, no, because the glands are dominal linked. So, you know, you really want to be looking at balancing all of the glands. You want to balance your entire endocrine picture. So, when you're ready to address that component, make sure you go to a doctor that specializes in hormonal balance, not just a GP or a GI or someone like that. You need someone who, you know, that's, that's the goal of their practice. Um, and I have, I've done podcasts with a woman down in Seattle. That's her entire practices, um, endocrine. So those are available for free on my website, um, to give you a good, you know, intro to, you know, how things show up and what you might want to look at if you, especially if you can't afford, you know, individual consultation. What about fecal transplant and such for betterment of IBD? And I know you are not a fan of surgical approach and you rather believe more in the natural approach, having healed yourself. But uh, what's your take on the whole surgical aspect? And what about fecal transplant and such? 
Well, the surgical aspect was what was one of the final prompts for me to leave the medical treatment protocols because my doctors were insisting I have surgery. And when I, I took my GI's textbooks home and read them, because remember this is before the internet, I, and I read in his textbooks that anytime they open you up for surgery, the disease jumps to a minimum of three new sites. I was like, this is insane that you, you are now going to take this level of intensity and times it by three. And yeah, sure. That might take another five to 10 years for those three other sites to get going full blown to where your first site is at. But again, it's that thing that they're like, I'm like, they don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to keep people alive. And that wasn't good enough for me. So, but everyone follows their own path. You know, one thing I never do is try to talk people out of drugs and surgery. I literally, that is your own journey. It's your own body. You know, what's right for you. You know, what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And so you absolutely should follow your own guidance on that um, stage. Now for fecal implant, um, I think it's definitely it can be a beneficial procedure if your donor. So I get, I've done some teleseminars with people who have, uh, and that doctor I mentioned before, he went on to set up a clinic where all he did in Buenos Aires was this fecal implant. And he's the one who told me it, it's miraculous. But the thing is with Crohn's and colitis, you have to have it done every month. So again, it's not, you're not getting your long term. Now is a fecal implant once a month better than Remicade? And well, yes. Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, again, go with whatever you feel, but the donor has to be very well screened or you could be infecting or reinfecting yourself, uh, possibly with something worse than you had already because their system might be able to handle a certain pathogen, but yours can't. So even though they're healthy, when your, their stool gets injected into you, you could have a, a, you know, definitely adverse reaction. So, um, you definitely want to have that donor tested well. Um, a woman I did a teleseminar with in Australia, she has her donors go on a very strict diet before donating as well. You know, they don't drink any alcohol, no substances. They, they're, she gives them a list of what they should be eating, um, to make sure that the stool that's going to be implanted into these, you know, very immunocompromised patients is of the highest caliber possible. I've never done one myself. I haven't needed to, but, um, I certainly would consider it, uh, if I did need it, I think it's, uh, again, as long as you screen that donor appropriately, uh, it should be fine. Mm-hmm. What about children and IBD and pregnant women and IBD? Well, the same principles apply because again, you have to be able to listen to your gut and children are often still in touch with their gut. So the more you can let your child be in charge of their treatment and be in charge of the substances and the frequency, the better. That's a hundred percent, uh, something that if you can find your way to trusting your child to do that, you'll have a much better outcome. Um, and again, it doesn't work to force anyone to do anything because then the amount of stress hormones and stress cascade that you're going to trigger is going to negate the good stuff you're putting in. So that doesn't work either. The child has to be on board. The child has to drive it and, um, have this be something that they want to do for pregnancy. There's no data. We have no data on pregnant. We, we have no data on natural medicine to begin with. We sure as heck don't have it on pregnant women. So again, 
you just have to listen to your gut. And I, do I have readers who've taken wild oregano while pregnant and breastfeeding? Yes, I have. Am I going to recommend that to anybody? No, I'm not. Cause I, you know, I don't need someone coming after me legally either. So again, but you follow your own gut and you do what you feel is best. Now, what's interesting is, okay, so you can be pregnant and take these hugely known to be damaging drugs, but whatever you do, don't risk a herbal treatment. Like the, the hypocrisy of it is, is astounding to me. So, but again, listen to your own body, your body wisdom knows. And, and I know people who've had, you know, two-year-olds who have directed their own treatment. That two-year-old knows what's good for his body and what isn't. So we keep coming back to the same place and, and why I called my first book, Listen to Your Gut, because that is the gold standard. That's all you need to do. Yeah. It's fascinating, right? You know, like how much you tune into yourself and you can, you can uncover the true potential for yourself to heal, right? On your own and, or at least, you know, give pointers to anyone and rather, if not minimally advocate for your own care, right? And it's just amazing. You said a two-year-old could, could uh, heal himself or herself. And I always try to say, you know, advocating for one's own care is so important. I think you, you are kind of, uh, definitely echoing the same sentiments and uh, also the need very much to tune into, you know, what one's body is telling themselves. Yeah, you and I are not sitting out here offering medical advice. That's for every each and every individual to, you know, just uh, decide for themselves and obviously see and um, address their medical needs with their individual physician and practitioner. Back in a moment with our guest, on Fresh Leaf Forever. What about other therapeutic methods and uh, integrative stuff like acupuncture, Ayurveda, things like that? You talk about those in your book as well. So why don't we have yes. you talk about that? Well, all there's so many supportive integrative therapies that are wonderful and healing. And again, if you feel drawn to something, if you feel interested in something, that's your body guidance guiding you in that direction. I healed from pneumonia once. So after the birth of my third child and my left lung was half filled with fluid and I spent $4,000 and, and see, I lived in Vancouver at the time where they say you get pneumonia, you're getting it every year. Like you'll never get rid of it because it's a super damp, moldy climate. And I was like, I don't accept that reality. So I spent $4,000 on, I did 10 intravenous vitamin C treatments alternating with 10 hydrogen, I intravenous hydrogen peroxide treatments, acupuncture with an infrared heat lamp three times a week. Um, the cupping as well, and then an entire herbal regimen. And I have never had pneumonia or any respiratory illness since that was 16 years ago. So you will definitely be guided towards what your body needs. And again, proceed slowly. Give your body a chance to say, oh, no, and that's enough. That's all I wanted of that. Or I just wanted, you know, X number of treatments or, you know, and, and give yourself time, give your body time to adjust to the things that you're doing to it. Um, especially if your Crohn's or colitis is active, right? Then you have to go a lot slower. 
But definitely there's um, a ton of integrated therapies that are hugely helpful and bodywork therapies. Craniosacral is one of my favorite, but make sure the therapist is um, certified at level two or higher. You want someone who has the somato-emotional component of craniosacral, so mm-hmm. where they can access you know, the actual trauma and wounding in the cells and tissues of the bodies, not just as a physical you know, more manual therapy, uh, hypnotherapy with someone who's good and trustworthy is fantastic. EFT tapping, which is why I developed my own course. I became an EFT um, practitioner and then developed my version of it that really integrates with the physical body that I call laser tapping. Uh, that's hugely, hugely helpful. And what I like about that is you can do it yourself in the moment as the need arises. You know, you don't have to book a session, wait for your appointment, pay 150 bucks. You know, you can just deal with stuff as it comes up. And I've taught, um, all my kids to tap. I've taught, it was hilarious. My 84 year old, um, father, doctor father, who is like, was like so skeptical of everything. And after doing some tapping sessions with him, he started tapping for himself. And then he comes back and he tells me stories like he had his heart function test done and he has to score above a certain level or he's not allowed to fly and he really mm-hmm. wanted to go to his home in Arizona. So he's t- he tells me, he's now sitting there. They were hooked me up to the, the, whatever the test apparatus was. He says, and I started tapping. I was like, I'm getting this thing high enough. And he goes, and it came in just over the line. And you know, so he uses tapping and if he can't sleep, he, he uses tapping and he falls asleep. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing because you can use it in the moment on the spot as it arises, you know, whenever, whenever you need it. So if anybody wants to try a free session with me, just go to lasertapping.com and uh, see what your body thinks. Oh, right? that's, again, that's wonderful. Your body. That's wonderful. You your body said, knows. You said how one can even, you know, sleep doing EFT, right? You know, like people just don't believe it when when you just tell them, hey, you know what, just uh, tap. And I always find that I yawn the very next minute, but and and can fall asleep right away. But then people just don't really until someone is ready to receive that healing. I think, you know, you're just going to second guess every single thing that's out there, right? So that's also, it's also kind of like, you know, ready to receive or the grace component or however one wishes to call it. What about the microbiome testing and allergy testing and all of that? There's so much out there with functional medicine these days. Yeah, I, all of those tests have their pros and cons. Um, I think that would be something, you know, I don't get into it that much. I, I did do a, a, um, podcast with, uh, a PhD in immunology and a holistic health coach that specializes in allergy. That's on my blog. If you want to get into the intricacies and the minutiae and all the things that allergy testing doesn't tell you and the false roads it might lead you down. And, and so if anybody's considering that, I definitely recommend you listen to that podcast um, because it's a lot more complex than we think. There's a lot we don't know, but of course that's not what's presented to the paying customer. It's like, oh, you get this done and then you know what foods to avoid and what foods not to avoid. No, not necessarily. And I'll give you an example from my own my own experience. I had allergy testing done, I think it was five years after I'd done that specific carbohydrate Elaine Gottschall diet we talked about that caused me so much stress. And guess what showed up on that allergy testing? 
all of the substances that I was showing allergic to were the staples of that diet, right? Now, is that because I got too much or I fizz it, or is it because the stress response associated with those foods was so high that it now creates uh, an immune response in me, right? Because the body is intricately connected. There was a girl, she was eating grapes when she was told her mother died in a car accident. She is anaphylactic shock allergic to grapes from that moment on. Okay. Someone with multiple personality disorder. This is fascinating. They can be anaphylactic shock of it, of allergic to peanuts in one personality. And in the other personality, they can eat peanuts, peanut butter, everything else. Tell me how that's possible. We're talking about the same physiology, the same physical body, right? And so here we're back into the treating that holistic paradigm of the mind, the body, the emotions, the spirit, you have to take into account all of these components. We're not just a physical body, right? So food allergies is one of those places where, you know, the lines can get pretty wiggity depending on what's happening. So yeah. And then the stool, the stool testing again. Yeah. Great. It, these things are all great barometers, but you know, nothing beats your own gut guidance and what your own body tells you. So use them as guidelines. Give, give yourself an idea. Stool testing. Yeah. Well, okay. So it's what your body's excreting. And out of that last portion of your colon, well, how long is your GI tract? You don't know what's going on further up. Like it's, it's a limited picture. So it shouldn't be taken as, you know, oh, now I know everything that's going on, but use it as an indicator, use it as useful data, but always come back to your own body, your own gut, your own bowel movements, um, and your own body wisdom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Perfect. And it's absorbed plus. I know you talked about even with IBD, Crohn's, colitis, and any other gut-related condition, you said absorbed plus is meant to be taken by those that really need it. How about people like athletes, you know, that, that really can use that protein and that nutrition? Is it is it fit for athletes? And are you like NSF certified? Well, uh, we do have a lot of people who use it as their workout shake, but again, they're using it because they have a reason to use it, right? And they have, they, they have a workout goal that means they want that liquid pre-digested nutrition in their boom. Like you have to think about it. If someone's a bodybuilder, how much steak do they need to eat to get the equivalent protein that they could drink in a shake, right? It's far easier to drink your nutrition than to chew and swallow and cook it, right? So again, as long as you, you are, you have a need for it, um, and it's appropriate to whatever your body needs are at the time, it's going to benefit you. You know, uh, pe we have people using it with, um, oh my gosh, elderly, uh, fibromyalgia, cancer, AIDS. There's so many people who now use Absorb Plus. We had a friend his dad, um, you know, the hospital called them and said, okay, say, say your goodbyes. Your dad's like, there's nothing more we can do for him. And, uh, my friend didn't accept that. And he got him some absorb plus and he started giving it to him, got his dad out of the hospital and got two more years of life with him. So, you know, again, your body knows and, and try it. And if you feel, um, if you feel like if you get an idea, oh, I'd like to try that, whether it's a bodywork therapy or a shake or a food or whatever, 
that level of interest or, Ooh, I'd like to try that, you know, is something that you can follow. It's a little, it's a little breadcrumb laid down. Okay. Follow the trail, see where it takes you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's a, it's interesting that you have brought out a vegan version as well. And that's like now 12 different flavors, if I'm correct. Yeah. And we're just about to, we're just coming off the production line with a free form amino acid version. So it's going to be called absorb plus amino. So it's for people who, you know, talking of food allergies, if you want to do a food clearance and then reintroduce foods to test for allergies, Absorb Plus Amino would be the thing to use because there's no, there's no dipeptide protein. So you can really get a clean slate. And then as you introduce your foods one by one, you can get a really clear idea of, okay, at this moment in time, what does my body tolerate and what is it intolerant or allergic to? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wonderful. Would you go for a sports certified uh, label? Would you go for an NSF certification? No. And it depends on what market you're in. Like, so that's for the US. For Canada, they have different regulations. For England and Australia, they have different regulations. The product, the same formula that I formulated for the Australian market is allowed to make medical claims on its label and it can be sold into hospitals because they did the paperwork on that and they have a different procedure there. If you want to get anywhere near a medical food for the United States, you better have millions of dollars. It's just the procedure is insane. It's cumbersome. Okay. Um, and we yeah. talked about your books, Listen to Your Gut and the IBD Remission Diet Protocol. And your books are sold in over 80 countries. And like I said, in your intro, you have like over 20 publications, including um, your CDs, DVDs, eBooks, and things like that. What about Murray the Shark series and childhood chronic illness and the family dynamic? I guess that's worth mentioning from the standpoint of children and whatever you want to add as part of all your work, your counsels, your contact info and things like that. I think the floor is yours, Ginny. Well, everything is available on my flagship site, listentoyourgut.com. Super easy to find. The other resource we haven't talked about that I really do want to make people aware of on that site, there's a section called Home Remedies. Now there's 350 pages of tried and tested home remedies. So anything that comes up in your family from the flu to acne to um, uh, cystitis, if we have a treatment protocol that has been tried and tested by, you know, thousands of my readers, it's going to be in that section. It's a hundred percent free because my hope for the world is for people to become more fluent in healing themselves. You know, the, the bigger your toolbox and the bigger your fluency with natural effective treatments, the less you can be taken in by fear. And that I think is the biggest problem on our planet today is that, you know, unscrupulous people are using fear to get people to do things that are not in their best interest and that can actually create a lot of damage. So, um, my, what I'm hoping to gift out there to the world is here's your medicine chest and it's big and you can have a huge toolkit and you can get to the point where you're like me and your doctor fires you because you never show up because you don't, we actually, we have an integrated <laughs> physician. Myself and my children have not been for over a decade because we don't need him. Anything that comes up is in that home remedies section. We can heal it ourselves. 
And so he just said, look, you guys, you never show up. I don't make any money out of you, but I have to keep filing paperwork. Like either come in and get a physical or, or, or you're fired. And we we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll be fired then. Cause we're not going to go in and get blood work done just so just to whatever, who cares? Not, not necessary. So I think if people could get that level of autonomy and fluency, they wouldn't be so terrified, you know, like they wouldn't be so easily manipulated because they'd be like, bah, I get sick. That's fine. I know what to do. And the more you use the treatment protocols, the more confident and the more fluent you become. So my 84 year old father who is diabetic He's had triple bypass surgery, multiple, multiple stents put in. He has been smoking a pack a day for 60 years. You could not have a higher risk profile for COVID death if you looked, if you tried. He gets COVID. He used my natural protocols to completely heal himself in, um, well, he was good. He was fine within a week and he was completely healed within two weeks. And him and my mom both got it. And they used my protocols and they healed themselves and he didn't even require supplemental oxygen or anything. So this is the power of having a big healing toolkit. You are not at the mercy. You are not left in a state of fear and panic at, uh, you know, anything that comes up. And so that would be my greatest wish for humanity at this time is to build their medicine, their medicine bag and their ability to treat themselves with confidence. Mm -hmm. That is just so well said as far as uh, advocating for one's care. And, uh, you know, if you just want to add anything else about the role of support system in one's healing journey and for anyone that's wondering, hey, there's somebody sitting in front of us that has healed herself from, you know, what is perceived as an incurable condition, Crohn's disease. What does Ginny Patel Thompson eat in a day? You know, how does she structure her eating pattern and her lifestyle in terms of exercise and things like that? I think that'll be like a great uh, closing thought for listeners. Well, for me, I have been completely healed for, oh gosh, over 15 years. And when I say completely healed, I mean, I'm not even afraid of having anything recur because healing of your physical symptoms is one level of healing. But as anyone knows, who's been through a flare where one day you're fine and the next minute you're free falling off a cliff, um, understand like you get actual PTSD, you get a huge fear response that kicks in about that ever happening again. And that takes longer to heal than the actual physical symptoms. So for me to be healed to the point where I don't even think about having a gut issue again, it's been about 15 years clear now. So what I do is, and what I found crucial to maintaining that level of ongoing health is I cook my food from scratch. I buy organic or locally farmed, or I grow it myself. I use only healthy oils. I avoid um, most seed oils other than flax. I find flax oil, cold pressed flax oil is, is fine and beneficial. But otherwise, I stick with olive oil and ghee and uh, beef tallow, pastured pork lard. But again, any animal products that I consume are pasture-raised. The animals have a good life. I know the farmer. Everything is done in a humane manner. And then more veggies than um, carbs 
And I, my particular body needs a lot of protein. So I give it a lot of protein. Um, I eat a lot of, uh, free range pastured organic eggs and I make sure I get outside and I do physical labor, um, at least every second day because I have, um, eight horses here at my ranch. I've got two others in somewhere else, but, um, that physical labor, whether I'm building a fence or I'm shoveling manure or a garden or whatever, I find out in the fresh air, out in the sunshine is an absolute game changer. And I've seen it change the lives of all of my barn helpers, my, the young people who come and work, uh, with me. Uh, so I think, you know, exercise is key, but if you can get outdoors and as much into nature as possible for that exercise, you're going to 10 times your benefits for sure. Um, and then, uh, learning how to say no, right? Learn how to say no so that you can protect your time and your energy stores. That is a foundational healing piece of chronic illness. Um, and I've got a whole workshop that I've done with my horses and we, I've called it the fierce feminine. Um, because whether you're male or female, it's that fierce feminine that who cares and nurtures yourself that can set those strong, healthy boundaries around your time and your energy. So that's pretty much what my life looks like now. Um, aside from the, you know, the work projects that I have, um, I'm working on a new book on animal communication, actually, at the request of a lot of my horse and animal followers. I have a I have a YouTube channel that has a big subscriber list there. So that's my next project that I'm super excited about. And again, it's the same thing when you can listen to your gut and you can listen to your intuition and you can hear your own body. Guess what? You can hear your animals too, because we're all communicating on the same frequency band. And once we tune in, we can hear everything. You can hear your plants. You'll know. I never have a watering schedule for my plants. I just tell my plants, let me know when you need water. And they do. And I've never had a plant, uh, my plants thrive. They don't die because they just tell me what they need and I give it to them. So it's entering into this whole new level of communication with all the levels of life, right? And that's what health is. That's what, that's what a healthy planet would look like. That's wonderful. Ginny, I'm just wondering how come all of a sudden that Marie the Shark series, a series of bedtime stories and such for children, just curious, you know, as you speak and say all of this about your home remedies and whatnot, I just got really curious how from an IBD perspective, whatever work you were doing, you just kind of jumped on to something else as well. The children, uh, the Murray the Shark series were the stories that I was telling my own kids. And my mom was like, she, cause she came to help me with the birth of my second child. And so she was taking her during the nights and just bringing her into nurse. And so she came one night and she heard me telling a story to my first child. And she ended up standing outside the door listening. She said, these stories are wonderful. You have, so she got me a little recorder and she said, just hit record. And so that's how they started is the stories that I was telling my own children, which again, the stories are all designed to drop the nervous system to teach the child how to tune in and listen to their own body wisdom. They're teaching the child how to do meditative breathing, but all through the form of storytelling. And so then I just recorded those and made those available to, you know, anybody else who wants them. And again, the interesting thing is once you throw things out there, I was just using them as bedtime, sleep time stories, but people have been using them for their kids with anxiety over dental visits. 
they said, this has changed my ability to take my daughter to the dentist because I put Marie the shark on her headphones and she's actually okay. She can actually have dental work done. Uh, people are using them on road trips where their kids usually would, you know, be starting to lose their minds. Um, so it's interesting the way that when you just make these things available, people take them in their own directions. Thank you so much, Jenny, for taking the time to join us here on the show today to talk in depth about your IBD journey and how you have managed to change people's lives for the better. And that includes me. And thank you once again. Thank you, Vi. Really appreciate you doing this for people. Listeners, I hope you found that conversation really insightful. I certainly did, and I hope you did too. As always, follow the podcast, rate the podcast, leave a review from your podcast app of choice, and follow me on Instagram at YPKumar for all things digital media and lifestyle. Until next time, with yet another interesting guest and yet another interesting topic, it's me, Vi, saying so long. Mm-hmm.